This is The Recap, a weekly reflection on the sermons of Fellowship Baptist Church in Mainville, Ohio, seeking to help you make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. I'm your host this week, Ryan Land, and I am here with the preacher of this week's sermon, Brent Wilson. How are we doing? Doing good. We're filming in the middle of a tornado watch. Skiwi. So if you hear some wind, wind background sound effects, it's not... We're not doing an audio play. It's real. <laughs> it's real life. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. We were in Matthew chapter four this week, looking at Jesus's encounter with the devil. I thought that was an interesting. Ooh. I thought that was an interesting encounter to pick. Yeah. Um, you know, when when I first heard the sermon title, we first think about the sermon title. It's like I just I thought about kind of what we did the first two weeks: Nicodemus, rich young ruler, uh, people, you know, people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought I thought it was a really good, a really interesting pick. So one of the kind of first topics we're going to hit on before getting to your questions, I think, is, you know, at the core of this story is temptation. And we learn a lot about temptation, a lot of uh, tools to fight temptation, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, but so before we started, I, I, I wanted to just ask you and, and to help, you know, this is something we're going to face every day, something the people that are listening to this are going to face all the time. And so to understand what exactly is temptation is, I think, super important. And so we, and I think we talk about it in a lot of unhelpful ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and so when we know, we, we got to know our enemy, right? And so, so let's just kind of, you know, dig in what is, you know, the nature of, of temptation. So first kind of question, what, what is it? What is temptation? What, you got, yeah, you got yeah. a good definition? Well, you know, I used in the sermon the idea that this word picture uh, or illustration of the siren song. Right, so it's this allure yeah. to something um, that is claiming to be more beautiful, more lovely, more satisfying, more fulfilling. Um, and so the question really becomes: Where does that siren call come from? Where is this call to um, do X, Y, or Z um, that is more satisfying than what God has called me to do? He's so the temptation is to pull me away from God's design, pull me away from. God's laws and what God would have me do towards something else, towards some perversion. Um, yeah. And so the question is, where does that come from? Uh, immediately, James 1, 14, 15 come to mind that says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed then. Uh, when desire, desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death or brings forth death. So uh, where does it come from? What is it? Where does it come from? Uh, um, it, it can come from really two places. One, it can come from um, our enemy, our supernatural enemy. Mm-hmm. Maybe not particularly the devil, but demonic mm-hmm. forces. That's certainly uh, true that the devil uh, and his, his, his forces are roaming the earth, seeking him and they can devour and he tempts us. Um, but it also, according to this verse, it comes from within inside of us. Uh, it's it's not yeah. always oh man the devil's out to get me sometimes it's no my wicked heart is out to get me yeah yeah my flesh so when, when you read the New Testament there are two words for for the human body you have soma which you might be familiar with there's a there's a store in the mall called soma uh, which just means body but do, pe- do people still go to the mall I don't know I've been in the mall in years <laughs> I just I don't even know the story I just know it's called yeah, soma yeah. but um, I was trying to think if there was like a medical term or something when in soma. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. But it just means body. Yeah. But then there's another Greek word uh, that's called sarx, which often when you read the Bible, it'll be interpreted as, or in, translated as flesh. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when you read the word flesh in the Bible, it, he doesn't mean your physical flesh. Yeah. He means the um, 
the sinful nature, the, uh, the fallen, broken part of you, uh, your passions and desires that are perverted and broken and distorted. And so, uh, so temptation is uh, the siren song that pulls us away from the beautiful, good, godly, right, holy, satisfying, all-fulfilling things of God, away from those things and toward a perversion or distortion of the things of God uh, into a lesser thing. And that, that pull can come from either um, demonic forces, uh, but always, even if it is demonic force, it is always also coming from our own desires um, within us and our, our broken flesh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we we talked about this at you in youth not too long ago. And this I think this was sort of like a revelatory moment for people when I said, is Satan omnipresent? Oh yeah, great question. And and some of them were surprised to find out that no, he wasn't, right? And so, you know, I, I told them like you if you think like Satan himself is coming after you, like you must think you're pretty important. Yeah, you think pretty highly of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like it's I think it's I think it's really important to remember that, you know, Satan does have demonic demonic influence there you know a demonic army right but i think sometimes we can lean too far into that and we minimize our own culpability sure in our sins and our in our temptations so because it's the devil made me do it yeah yeah, yeah. and it's like no really you're just own heart and made you do it and what you were just talking about you know that even when the tim even when it is a some sort of out exterior supernatural force that's tempting you they're always tempting you through the mechanism of your your own fallen, your own desires. fallen yeah. desires, and so that made me think. Uh, I mean, you didn't re- you didn't reference this once in your your sermon on temptation, which is amazing to me. But screw tape letters. Oh, how, yeah, and I just read it too. Which so. so which is exactly what he does in screw yeah. tape letters. He's not like, hey, go tell him that you know the things of God are terrible and that he should do other stuff. But he's all these like he's he's telling this younger demon, hey, use these subtle. Yeah, mechanisms, these yeah. subtle things, to, questions, and to to pull him away. So, yeah. yeah. So, what is temptation? What where does it come from? I think those are great. Uh, those those are two great answers. So then, and you hit on this a little bit. Is temptation sin? Is it in yeah. and of itself sin? Yeah, great question. I think two things I want to say here. One, when we go back to this James verse I read, it says that temptation uh, uh, is. It's drawn, you're drawn away by your own desires and enticed. Then that desire has conceived and it gives birth to sin. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the temptation itself is not sin, right? It, but it is revealing what's in your heart, right? So a temptation that is outside of you, a temptation, you know, a demonic force comes and tempts you to do something. Um, that's not you. That's an outside influence. But when it is from inside of you, when you are tempted to stare too long or, or stare at that woman or you're tempted to steal that money or whatever, those are uh, desires that are already inside of you. So Jesus talks about from, it is from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. And so your words are simply revealing what's in your heart. In the same way, temptations are revealing your own desires. Yeah. And while they're not sin, uh, in the strictest sense of the term, because you have to act on them to be sin. Yeah. Um, like you can be tempted to go and, uh, and, and and look at that woman, but you don't do it. So you haven't sinned. But the temptation actually is still revealing a fallen reality mm-hmm. of brokenness in your own heart. So yeah. temptation is a sin. No, it is revealing, though, what's in you. 
Yeah. I think that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, obviously it can't be sin because Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted, yeah. right? Hebrews tells us he was tempted in but every way. Interesting. He is tempted by ex- exclusively by external forces. Yeah. And is never tempted by his own desires. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I also thought, I mean, th- I think this is just important to say is that, you know, when we say temptation is not sin, there, there's this, there's this, maybe this assumption that could be made that only actions are sin, like only saying oh, yeah. or doing something, and that when you just mm. thinking something isn't necessarily sin. Yeah, that's not which true. is not true, yeah. right? Like you know, Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, anyone who hates his brother in his heart mm-hmm. um, has has committed murder, or anyone who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart, and so. That temptation is distinct from yeah. sinful thought or yeah. desire. Here's how they talk about it in kids' ministry. And I, I think Darcy probably uses this probably where I learned it from. But it's anything we say, say think, think, or, or do, do that is against God. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I have seventh graders now that were in okay. with, with Darcy, yeah. and they say that. Right? Oh, okay, like, good. It's yeah. like, I'm like, ah, oh, you're a Darcy disciple. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anything. So it, the temptation itself is not sin. But that doesn't mean... Nothing that you think is sinful, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You can have sure. sinful thoughts, sinful desires right. that are sin, not temptation. Right. Uh, so I think, and then this is like, I think the, the, the natural question we all want to answer. So we're all going to be tempted. We're all going to fall into temptation. We're going to, yeah. we're going to lose the battle. Right. Uh, so what do we do when that happens? How do we respond when we fail yeah, fight in our in our fight against temptation. Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot to say here. Um, the the first thing I want to say up from the top, and then we kind of work backwards. The first thing is, when you sin, when you fail, you need to believe the gospel mm. to believe it's true. Of course. Sometimes we respond by trying to atone for ourselves and justify it. Not yeah. not even justify ourselves, but make up for it. Um, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I see sometimes. Uh, I see this in, in one of my daughters when she does something wrong. She makes herself feel so bad. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm terrible. I'm awful. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her the other day, uh, you are not earning my love or making up for what you did by feeling so bad, mm-hmm. by beating yourself up. And we do that, right? Like we mm-hmm. sin and we just, you know, we pray and we're asking for forgiveness and we're just beating ourselves up, beating yeah, ourselves yeah. up, thinking that in our in making ourselves suffer, we're somehow mm-hmm. making up for it. And like, that's just I, not true. I think about that guy in the Da Vinci Code who's just like, Whipping himself. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's a name for that. There's yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. Though. But um, self-flagellation, <laughs> I think, is what it's called. Um, but yeah, and so you know, we can either make ourselves feel bad, or we can pray really, really hard, or we can go read our Bibles, yeah, or we yeah, can yeah. do something and think, we run, oh, we run to some action, yeah, to make like up for it. some atoning action, yeah. Um, and so to do that is to practically not believe the gospel. Yeah, it is to to look to something other than the work of Christ to make up for my sin. Mm-hmm. And so I would simply say, hey, when you fall, look to Jesus. Stop yeah. looking to yourself. Look to the cross. Look to the blood mm-hmm. and trust in what Jesus has done for you and rest in it. Uh, there's a great song we sing um, in Christ Alone. There's a great line that says, uh, no guilt in life, yeah, no fear in death. And so, man, there's no guilt to be had. When you feel guilty or when you feel shame over your sin, it's because you're not believing the gospel. Yeah. And I don't mean not ultimately believing it. Yeah, yeah. I like mean you're, you're not, not saved. You're not applying yeah. it. You're not believing what is actually true mm-hmm. of you. God isn't looking down upon you. You are. You're you're the one uh, making up this guilt. Not mm-hmm. not God giving it to you. And so the first thing I would say is believe the gospel. Yeah. One quick note on that. Something you just said. I think is super important. We talk about our sin 
that Jesus dying for our sin, yeah. which is true, but it's not the only thing that was taken on the cross, right? Like you just said, our guilt and our shame are yeah. extinguished mm. because our sin is no longer applied to us. Right. It's applied to Jesus on the yeah. cross. And so we don't have to feel shameful and guilty because our not was our not just was our sin on the cross, but our shame and our guilt yeah. Yeah. also. And yeah. so I think that's really important to remember. For sure. For sure. That's good. So preach the gospel to yourself, believe it. And the mm-hmm. second thing I would say is when you sin, when you fall into the temptation, the enemy's next move is to always move you to isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible calls him uh, the accuser. And so he comes to you and he whisper, whispers to you, um, God can never love you. God can never forgive you. Um, you're a, you're a uh, fool. You're, mm-hmm. you're a failure, all these things. And so what do we do in those moments? We, we're like a turtle. We put our head in our shell. <laughs> We, yeah. we run to isolation. We run away from everybody. We don't talk about it. We beat ourselves up and all these mm-hmm. things. And he that's what he wants. He wants you in isolation. Yeah. Um, fascinating article I read um, years ago uh, that talked about addiction and how often we think about addiction, we think about it as a chemical problem. Uh, and they cited a couple of examples. They talked about one in the Vietnam War, 80% of the soldiers were addicted to some sort of narcotic. And you would have expected when those soldiers came home from the war that they would have all needed to go to rehab to get off this addiction that they had to this narcotic drug. But 95% of them, when they came home and they reintegrated into their families and reintegrated into their communities, simply stopped being on drugs, stopped the narcotic use. Whoa. Um, and then if you look at hospitals, when you go to the hospital, and if you're having some kind of surgery or you're in incredible pain or you're doing something, they'll often put you on what's called diamorphine which is a painkiller uh, used very regularly. Uh, and it's a fancy name for cocaine. It is hot and it's more pure and stronger than anything you can get on the street, right? It's super powerful cocaine that they give you in the hospital. Yet virtually no one ever leaves the hospital from a routine surgery. Who, and they've been giving you this drug on a rhythm, on a drip consistently. Yeah, and yeah. yet still virtually no one leaves the hospital addicted. Hmm. And so the article cited these two things and they concluded by saying people who live in isolation is when addiction manifests. And the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, but human connection. Hmm. And so addiction is a result of isolation. And so it just reinforces our need for community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, uh, sin demands to have man by himself. It draws him from the community. And the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And so sin grows in isolation. So the devil wants you to not only fall, but he wants you to be uh, alone by yourself so that yeah. you'll just continue to wallow in it uh, and, to, and to go deeper into it. And I think there are some of us, some people listening to this, and they're stuck in a sin, they're stuck in a pattern, mm-hmm. and that sin is secret. Yeah. It is unknown. And it is destroying you, and you want out, and you want to be done with it, but you don't know how. And I would tell you the first step in battling it, the first step of getting out from its clutch, clutches is to trust someone and to tell them about it mm-hmm. and to stop fighting alone. Um, and that's and the devil is going to whisper in your ear, don't do that. They're going to they're gonna they're gonna, hate you. They're going to judge you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's they're just... They're going to tell everyone else. And certainly there'll be some people that would do that. You've got to find the right person, mm-hmm. right? you got to find a, a, a mm-hmm. good Christian who understands the gospel because yeah. you want to tell them and you want to hear them say to you, man, Jesus loves you. He yeah. forgives you. Let's yeah. walk together in this. Yeah, for and sure. And that's liberating, right? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, we're in the same boat and yeah, we both I have mean, forgiveness. I mean, it's first it's first John, right? It's walking in the light, not yeah. the darkness, right? Yeah, yeah. We, I think I may have referenced that last week too. So. What's good? But it's like, yeah, it's like like we can only have fel- actual have fellowship with each other, like 
like we have union with Christ, we can only have fellowship with each other on that level when we walk in the light, when we know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so, but Satan wants us to walk in darkness. You can do, and I think another lie is right. Not, not even that, you know, like this person will judge you if you tell them or that person, you know, will say this or that, but also like you, you can do it. You can fix it yourself. Hmm. You know, it's like, you don't, you don't, You're strong to, enough. you don't need to tell anyone right. you can do it yourself. Oh yeah. Like that's a lie. Like yeah. that is, that is gospel according to Satan. And you want to believe that because oh, yeah. that means I don't have to tell anybody and I can <laughs> just fix it. Yeah. 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 Um, telling people about your sin is the scariest thing in the world uh, because it's our greatest fear that if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and while it's the gra- our greatest fear, it is also our source of greatest strength mm-hmm. that we don't walk in isolation. We walk linked arm in arm with people who are just picking us up and saying, yeah. hey, man, been there, done that. Uh, when I fall next time, you pick me up and let's link arms and go together. And that is incredibly freeing. And so, man, just want to encourage you, find somebody who loves Jesus and, and tell them. Yeah, that's great. So, any any final thoughts about temptation or about the sermon that you, stuff you didn't get to say that you wanted to? We'd be here too long. I think. All we right. Move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get to um, the sub- submitted questions from the from Q you guys. And a. The Q and A. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna start with number two on our oh, on our list here. I'm gonna man. throw you off a little bit because we're talking about fighting temptation. We're talking yep. about you know how to deal with with temptation when we fail. And and one of the things that is oft preached about in this story is Jesus's use of scripture in combating the devil's uh, temptation. So uh, this person writes in and says, if Jesus used scripture to respond to temptation, how much more do we need to do the same? What are some scriptures we can quote for common temptations? Yeah. You know, I think one of the reasons Jesus does that is because the devil is using scriptures against him. Yeah. And so uh, he's, he's one upping him. Uh, He's like, because, because the devil appears to us as an angel of light. And mm-hmm. so Jesus is saying, no, nah, you don't actually understand the scriptures. You're twisting them. And so I think really the first thing to take from that is to is to say that we need to understand the scriptures yeah. and not twist them um, and to understand what God has called us to and, 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 and what he's not and how it all works. And so I think that's important. I do think mm-hmm. it, it can be practical. Sometimes I get a little nervous about like just having these like little pocket Verses out of context to use as ammunition. Yeah, yeah. I think sure. so. I think maybe it's helpful. Or, or but, you know, saying like, you know, this is a silver bullet. You know, it's like when yeah, you're, yeah, when you're yeah. tempted, and if you can think, you know, this verse, yeah, then you're good. You're golden, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I obviously that. that yeah. Doesn't I mean, like a verse comes to mind is First Corinthians ten thirteen says, "No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God, who is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able." Uh, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you're able to bear it. And so like, I think you can think of that and be like, Hey man, I don't have to give into this. Mm-hmm. I can find a way out. Um, and I think that's good. I think that's helpful. And I think that's right. But what I think might be the better way to think about this is uh, Psalm 119 says your word. I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hmm. And it's not, Oh, I'm going to quote <laughs> that verse. It's a, it's a scripture memorization about scripture. Memorization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, it's not, Oh, when you're tempted, Say Psalm, but it's the idea, right? That if I have, if I am regularly uh, hiding God's word in my heart because I'm reading it, I'm meditating on it, mm. I'm storing it in my heart. When I am tempted, I don't just have this one verse in my pocket that someone told me to go to one time, but I have a treasure trove of things that I was meditating on this morning. And those things have enriched me, those things have built me up. 
And so I just think on those things. I think yeah. on what is lovely. Because, because the way to defeat temptation isn't to just be stronger than it, to white knuckle it, because yeah. you're never going to do that. You can only do that in the short term. Yeah. The way to fight temptation really is good. to see the things of God as more lovely and more satisfying mm-hmm. than the temptation is. And mm-hmm. the only way you're going to see God as more lovely is when you spend time with him yeah. and you're meditating and you have this treasure of his word. And you're like, man, you know what? I'm not really... The reason we're tempted is because the other thing seems more lovely. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually tempted to do it. But if we are constantly helping ourselves to see that God is more lovely because mm-hmm. I'm actually spending time with him and actually my heart actually believes he's more lovely, mm-hmm. actually the less I'm actually even tempted because I'm not actually... You see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About changing yeah, the way great. the word works. Um, and, so, and so I think that's helpful. And so I don't want to just give some people bullets of verses. Yeah. Uh, I actually want to say, just start reading the Bible every day mm-hmm. and meditate on it and treasure it. And, yeah. uh, and, and sometimes people hear that and they go, ah, oh, you know, I got, I got time. Don't go just read a chapter. Go find four verses yeah. and read them over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again and, and, and underline right, them and write study about them, them and, and think about pray them. them and, yeah. And, and, and you'll find, man, there are more in these four verses than I ever thought possible yeah. because you've spent, spent a whole day or week thinking about those um, and I think that you'll find that, oh man, God is more lovely um, than that. The other thing I would say is that we've got to remember like the promises of God. I think it's kind of what mm-hmm. Jesus is doing a little bit. Um, uh, and so like, hey, you know, he's tempted to do the bread. The promise of God is God, God will provide me my daily bread. He'll provide my provision. Uh, he's good. He's faithful. It may not come in the way that I want it to, but yeah. he, he's going to do it. Um, I think also remembering the gospel. Like remembering the love of God, and mm-hmm. uh, we just go deeper into the gospel. And so, when I'm tempted, like remember, hey, Jesus died for these things so that I might not do them, so they might not destroy my life. Uh, and then also, I think like you know, C.S. Lewis's mud pie illustration is uh, you just have to go back to it because it's so good. And so, mm-hmm. the problem with our desires, Lewis says, is not that they're too strong. It's not that man, our temptations are so big because our desires are so strong and God can't keep up with them. No, he says our desires are too weak. It's like, we want these foolish things. And he said, he, he lists like sex and drink and something else. But he's like, those desires are just too weak. They're they're like you as a kid in the slums playing in the mud pies. And God is holding out a vacation at the ocean, at the sea, at Hawaii. He's saying, this is what I'm asking you. What I want for you. This is what I'm trying to offer you. Um, and you're desiring something so petty and foolish mm-hmm. and silly. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to give you more. You're trying uh, to give you something better. Yeah. And so I think if you remember that concept when you are tempted and you can say, hey, you know what? I do want this thing. I can feel myself wanting this thing. But I've got to remember that it is only temporarily satisfying and it is not as good as what God is offering. God is actually offering something better. Mm -hmm. And and I think think Lewis's Lewis's imagery just is maybe one step shy. But it's like, it's not that you're just playing in the mud pie. It's like you're playing in toxic chemicals. Oh, yeah. It's not neutral. It's destroying you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Someone sent me uh, an article this morning about the saltwater analogy I used. Because I talked about how, you know, if you're imagining the desert and and you're drinking saltwater. I was curious uh, about the science behind that. I I took you at your word. I was like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, they sent me an article about how it was more true than I made it to be. Because I was just saying, you know, saltwater dehydrates because of the salt. They actually showed me this article about how there's all this crazy bacteria in salt water that Whoa. actually like destroys your body from the inside. And so she was saying it, it, it's more true than I meant that 
it's not just dehydrating you. It's actually really destroying you, making you more thirsty and eating you from the inside. Whoa. So, man, it seems satisfying because it's cold, it's refreshing, but it's actually yeah. killing you. Yeah. And, and making you want more of it. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, so now these next two questions are a little more uh, theological. You mentioned the concept of, of federal headship or, yeah. you know, that there's this one representative for the many. So Adam is the representative of all mankind. You talked about David fighting Goliath as the representative for, yeah. or the representatives for Israel and Philistines. the Philistines. I just wanted to say Gath because that's where he's from. And so this person writes in and asks, so Adams are the representative of all mankind. We're all guilty. We're all in sin because of Adam. Yep. Jesus was the representative for all mankind. He's the true and better Adam, the second Adam. Yep. And so this person writes in and they ask, why then did Jesus on the, Jesus's sacrifice on the cross not redeem all of mankind yeah. without opting in? Why, why were we automatically guilty in Adam's sin, but not automatically redeemed in Jesus' yeah. sacrifice? It's a great question. Yeah. And it's a question that some people actually believe that. For sure. Uh, they're called universalists, um, and they believe that hell either doesn't exist or it's empty, uh, and that all people are going to go to heaven, whether whether they believe or not. Um, and, and so some people do believe that. And, you know, there are there's several passages in, in, in Paul's letters that say, uh, to different language, but basically, in Adam all died, and in Christ all will be made alive. And so they say, hey, it says all. Um, all are dead in Adam, all are alive in Christ. That's All means all. It's everybody. Uh, one one like uh, hermeneutical principle with hermeneutics, like how we interpret the Bible, uh, is that we let the Bible interpret the Bible. So one, in the greater context of that verse, you could debunk that. But also just like the greater understanding of the Bible is that um, it shows us that people have to believe in Jesus to be united to him to get these benefits. And it makes it very clear that if you don't, it's death. You know, the famous famous passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? But just after that, he says, if you do not believe, you're condemned already. Mm -hmm. right? And so there's plenty of other passages in the Bible that talk about how if you're apart from Christ, you're still in Adam. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea really is that Adam represented all of humanity in that. So because we're human, he's he's our father. Like we're in him as just yeah. as humans, but we're not naturally in Christ. Right. Right. And so that is he's got the supernatural element in the same way that it was the king of Israel who represented the people of Israel, not the whole world. Mm -hmm. You had to be an Israelite yeah. for the king to represent you. And in the same way, we've got to be a part of the people of God for the king of the people of God to represent us. And so we yeah. have to be united to him by faith to get that. I Just thinking about this, I don't know if, if this is, is correct, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like Jesus is the head, not of all mankind. Right. He's the head of the church. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like though the church are the ones that, are yeah. being represented by Jesus on the cross. Right, right. So, and the church, let's speak, let's let's define that <laughs> not, a little not, deeper. Not fellowship Baptist yeah, yeah. church. Yeah, but but and not all of those who go to church yeah, uh, yeah. or are even members of Man, a local church. I don't know how many times I've used your uh your just because you're in a church doesn't make you a Christian just like the same way you're in a garage doesn't make you oh, a car. Yeah. You just said that in episode one <laughs> and I thought it was so good. So I've used it a couple That's times. Still since then. It's so good. Um but uh we were just talking about the what is the church define, oh, define yeah, the church yeah. and so the church is the, the word church is ecclesia it means the those gathered and so we're saying it is those who are gathered Ephesians 2 around Christ in the heavenly yeah. places and so it is those in all times and all places who are gathered in Christ um and so only those people who have faith in Christ united in him by faith are the church 
Uh, and so those people are being represented by Jesus. Yep. Um, and what we talked about, like, so uh, I only kind of brought part of this out in the sermon, but um, when Jesus is representing, he's he's what's uh, he's recapitulating, if you will, he's redoing Israel's history by yeah the Exodus. Know, they yeah. were 40, 40 years in the wilderness. He's doing forty days in the wilderness. They but, but they cross the Red Sea. He passes through water. Right, right. Feeding the four thousand or the yeah. three thousand. You, you back up how many thousand there were? Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> uh, but he's also redoing Adam's test as well. It's kind of both and. So he is uh, redoing Adam's test in the garden and Israel's test in the wilderness. And so he's the true and better Adam who, when tempted by Satan, doesn't give in. And he's the true and better Israel who, when tempted by Satan in the wilderness, doesn't give in. Uh, And so he's doing both of them, recapitulating, redoing their history. And so now, if you want Jesus to be your head instead of Adam, you have to have faith in him. And then he's yours. Yeah, it's great. So uh, last question. And it's uh, it's a doozy of a question. Oh, great. Um, And it's a short question. And this is all they asked. They said... If Jesus made the stone bread, would it have been sin? So, um, and you could also ask this of all three of the temptations, right? Like, yeah, if, uh, if he it, had jumped off the tower and had the it would it have been minister sin. or the angels catch him? Yeah, would it have been? And, sin? You, and you could even say, uh, maybe ask it like this a little bit: If Je- if Jesus does anything, could it ever be sin? Can, can Jesus do whatever he wants and it not be sin? Could Jesus murder somebody and it not be sin? Yeah, it's 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 the Nixon defense, right? Like, Tell me about that. Like when when okay, so when Nixon it's post Watergate, he's he's been in P, or he's already resigned, and I mean he's been pardoned by Ford. This is a long time after he sits down and does these interviews, and uh, David Frost, the guy interviewing him, is is asking him if he if he knew the some of these things were going on were illegal, and he sort of starts listing some things, and Nixon sort of is giving this sort of this response talking about, you know, uh, well, you know, when you're president, you've got to make hard decisions. And the the line between, you know, between legal and illegal gets kind of blurred. That's that's a paraphrase yeah. of what he says. And and David Frost says, wait, are you telling me that 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 the president is allowed to do something illegal? And Nixon looks this guy in the face and says, no, what I'm saying is that when the president does it, it's not illegal. And so it's this idea that's like when Jesus does it, it's not a sin. Yeah. But I, I we would reject. That. Yeah, we're rejecting. That's wrong. Yeah. That's right. That's a great. I was really hoping you did like a Nixon impersonation. Oh no, I'm not putting that on, on <laughs> recording. I'll, if you come up to me and ask me, I'll do it. For okay. You. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's not the case, right? And so um, sometimes we say you will use this phrase: God can do anything. Jesus can do anything. And I know what you mean by that, mm-hmm. um, but that's not true, right? Um, there's two things God cannot do, Jesus cannot do. One, he cannot do anything nonsensical, right? So um, this might be something interesting for y'all to think about. God cannot make a world in which two plus two equals five. He cannot do it. God is logical. Um, all the laws of logic and, and reason flow from him. So he cannot be illogical. Uh, and, but also, uh, God cannot sin. Uh, it's the book of James that says God cannot lie, nor is he tempted to lie. Uh, he cannot sin. And so not only um, would Jesus would not have turned the um, stones into bread, he couldn't have yeah, because it is against his very nature. And not because he didn't have the not power. Not because he, yeah, he's got the power. He could, he could do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and we were talking about this earlier. 
He kind of does it later. Yeah. When he feeds the 5,000, he just makes bread out of nothing. Yeah. Right? Um, and like, what's the difference in making bread out of nothing versus making bread out of rocks? Um, <laughs> not much. Like, you got more to work with with the rocks, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, and so it's not the well, doing but, it that's the sin. Right. What, what were we going to say? Well, I was going to say, well, in one scenario, the devil is asking him to do it. <laughs> yeah. If and the devil the, asks you to do it, it's probably always the sin. Yeah. And in the other scenario, he's, he's not. He's doing the will of the Father. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to bless people. Um, yeah. And so, um, that's so funny. If the devil asks you to do it, it's probably wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> Some good general wisdom. General wisdom. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so there's, here's a theological word. Um, and there's a debate around this and I think you'll clearly see where we stand, but it's called the impeccability of Christ. Um, Can a bird land on Jesus and, and attack him with its beak. <laughs> that is not what it means. <laughs> is he peckable or is he impeccable? A good way to remember it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so by peckable, this means can Jesus sin? Does he have the ability or capacity to sin? Um, and to say that he's impeccable is to say that, no, he cannot. He is impeccable. He's perfect. He cannot sin. And that's the position we would hold when we would say um, Jesus is tempted like we are, um, but he doesn't have the capacity or ability to sin because of his nature. Mm-hmm. He's God, God in the scripture. He does not have a sin nature. Right, right. And we, I would say all of us, every every person and, and, and not, I don't know, what's the word that's not just person, everything, every whatever, uh, always does a, things according to their nature. Li- they live according they to their nature. They live according to their nature, right? And they can't do Dogs otherwise. Dogs live according to their nature. Right. Humans live according to their and nature. And so we sin. Birds land on people. Impeccable and according to their nature. <laughs> and so we sin because uh, that's we have a sin nature. Mm-hmm. Jesus cannot sin because it is against his nature. He's perfectly good. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing we would say uh, is uh, he cannot change. Um, he cannot change his mind. He can't, you know, he can't choose to be evil, right? Mm-hmm. Like God cannot... You know, if, if so, if he could change, you can never trust him, right? Because right. either he's not as good as he could be or uh, he could be worse. Um, and so God can't change and he cannot sin. Uh, it is against his nature. And so he's impeccable and he could not turn the stones to bread because it would be a sin and against who he is. Oh, yeah. I hope that makes sense. It's In- super complicated. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, I think that is our, our three questions. We did a little little recap. Brent, any any final words before we before we close this episode out? I don't think so. Do you want to give a little uh, sneak peek for next week? Yeah. So, well, I'll do it at the end. I'll do it at the very end. Oh, after the closing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the recap. We hope this conversation has encouraged you to keep striving to make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. If you aren't a part of our church family. We'd love to meet you on a Sunday morning. We gather for worship at 10.30 a.m. For more information, you can go to myfellowship.church. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us at staff at myfellowship.church, or you can fill out a question on our church app under the This Week's Sermon tab. Next week, here's your little tease. Next week, we're going to discuss Peter's encounter with Jesus, his encounter with the Messiah, and it doesn't go exactly the way that he thinks it's going to go. Starts really well. Start, starts really well. It goes downhill. It ends really poorly. Pretty fast. So uh, we hope you'll join us for that conversation, and we'll see you next week. Be blessed.